You know, I'd like to read something to you from the Word of God. Isaiah 26, verse 20 and 21. Now, the message today is the only safe shelter in the last days. The only safe shelter in the last days. Um, Maybe you've been hearing a little bit about uh, how the bunker business is booming. Devastating earthquake levels a city. A massive tsunami kills thousands. Fear of nuclear attack runs rampant. Bloodshed and violence escalate in the Middle East. Radical tensions erupt in violent protests. Terrorism keeps cities in high alert, and a deadly pandemic sweeps around the planet. Backed by such headlines, a number of U.S. companies that sell doomsday bunkers are seeing sales skyrocket, some up a thousand percent. Most are preparing to live off the grid in these self-sufficient country retreats. Some of these are a patchwork of farms and backwards ingenuity. Others are expensive cutting-edge bunkers built by millionaires that are nervous about an impending collapse of civilization. What's causing this surge in stockpiling rice packets in underground bunkers? According to a 2019 study, researchers from the Journal of American Studies say that there's an ever-growing sense of impending doom in the American culture. People just seem to have this sense that something was coming. I think many folks know that from 2011 to 2014, National Geographic ran a reality show called Doomsday Preppers. And it was giving the day-to-day activities of these people, kind of a quirky team of survivalists that were getting ready for a myriad of circumstances, everything from an asteroid to a tsunami to a pandemic, that uh, they wanted to protect themselves. Um, In August 2018, the Financial Times reported that there's, uh, the nation of New Zealand was now banning foreigners from buying existing residential property within its borders. And this was a blow to the global super-rich who in recent years have been snapping up scores of luxury properties, many for vacation homes, but yet often they're called a bolt hole, a getaway shelter. Uh, sometimes it's a luxurious bunker to protect them in case the end of the world. They've done research and they found New Zealand is one of the best places. So this is not just quirky people from the fringe of society, but some of the richest, most educated, talented people in the world sense that something is coming and they're buying these properties. In 2017, the New Yorker magazine confirmed that New Zealand was indeed a favored destination for rich survivalists preparing for the apocalypse. Saying that you're buying a house in New Zealand is a kind of wink-wink, say no more. Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, told the magazine in the article, Doomsday Prep for the Super Rich. Billionaires such as Peter Peter Thiel, co-founder of PayPal, is one of the growing band of foreign super rich, including James Cameron, the director, Julian Robinson, the hedge fund guru, Mikhail Kimchi, the Russian oil magnate, who have bought remote properties in the pristine nation to escape Armageddon. So it just seems like there's this overriding concern that people have around the world that something is coming. You know, the Bible says there is a storm coming. You can read where Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them is a a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain descends and the flood came and the winds blow and beat on that house and the house does not fall because it's built on the rock. But you notice it also says the foolish man builds his house on the sand, 
but the storm comes to the foolish man and the storm comes to the wise man which means that a storm is coming to a hundred percent the question is what kind of fallout shelter do you have what is it built upon is it built upon the rock the Bible's full of storms from Noah to Jonah to Jesus and the Apostles on Galilee twice on the Sea of Galilee the book of Acts ends with a storm Paul and a boatload of, of prisoners are on their way to judgment and then something else you notice is at the end of each one of these storms worship takes place at the end of the storm for Noah they worship at the end of the storm when they're on the Sea of Galilee they're worshiping at the end of the storm in the story of Paul there's worship taking place and so we know that in order to get to that place sometimes you've got to go through a storm now I've got some good news I want to share today but in order for people to appreciate the good news first you've got to hear the bad news the bad news is the reason the good news is such good news um, the reason that people would be really excited to hear that there is a cure to the coronavirus is because they know there's a coronavirus uh, once you know that there is a problem the cure is all that more exciting uh, the reason eternal life is such good news is because people are aware that without it they've got eternal death and so I'm gonna take a moment and I hope that you'll sit up and uh, don't don't get discouraged but I need to tell you what the Bible says um, I've been a little bit surprised as um, I hear pastors and, and different leaders are sort of texting everybody preach messages that are going to comfort and calm people well I want to comfort and calm people but I want to do it where it's really beneficial I want to read to you from the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 18 now Romans is a book where you find a lot of salvation and grace but listen how he begins for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness how often do you hear a sermon about wrath do you know that wrath is found 200 times in the Bible and uh, a lot of that's in the New Testament what does wrath mean wrath means strong vengeful anger indignation retributory punishment for an offense or a crime crime a divine chastisement now I'm going to go to Romans chapter 2 you find three examples of the word wrath being used here or do you despise the riches of his goodness that leads you to repentance but in accordance with your hardness of your impotent heart you are treasuring up that means you're storing stockpiling for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds now here are the two options everybody has we all know John 3:16. this is Paul's John 3:16 in Romans you know three John 3:16 is eternal life or perish we got these two options here's how Paul puts it he'll render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory honor and immortality so the Lord tells us there's eternal life when you accept the mercy of Jesus and his spirit to live a life of patient continuance in doing good seeking for glory and honor and immortality but here's the other side to those who are self-seeking who do not obey the truth but unrighteousness 
indignation and wrath. So there you have it, friends. There are two choices. Um, there is a storm of wrath that is going to come on the world in the last days. Please don't get upset with Pastor Doug and say you're being negative. Paul establishes this in the book of Romans before he goes on and talks about the wonderful gift of salvation. A person first needs to understand that without that wonderful gift of salvation, it is a very bleak future. So I do people a disservice. I end up with people's blood on my hands if I tell them peace, peace when there isn't peace. There is only peace for those who have Christ. The only shelter that you can trust in in the last days is offered to those who are in Christ. If you do not have that relationship, you do not have that shelter, it's going to be very frightening. This is what the Bible teaches. But don't despair. Stay with me. You got to hear the bad news. The good news is coming. You can read in Luke chapter 3 verse 7, John the Baptist is preaching to the multitudes. And he said to those that came to be baptized, brood of vipers, who has warned you? You remember the, the serpent, the viper was possessed by the devil in the very beginning. And so there's a lot of people out there that are not spirit-led, they're devil-led. If you do not have Jesus, you're not with me. He says, you're against me. And John the Baptist is talking to the lost and he says, brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. It's not your church membership or if you come from a Jewish bloodline that's going to save you. You must be washed from your sins. You need to have a relationship with the Lord. Do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me, you will bring forth much fruit. If you do not abide in me, you're good for nothing. You'll be pruned away and those clippings are burned. And now the only safety in an occasion like that is to be sheltered by Christ. I've got a friend who is a firefighter. Now, you know, we're in Northern California and Northern California is famous for... Uh, Southern California earthquakes, Northern California fires. Of course, San Francisco, they've got both. But uh, got a friend, he's a professional firefighter, and he told me one story about um, they were fighting a fire up in the national wilderness, and the fire jumped over the top of them, which means they ended up having fire in front of them, and then it began to come up the canyon towards them, and they heard the captain of their crew say, words you never want to hear they said deploy your shelters that meant there was nowhere to run the fire was going to overwhelm you well fortunately they've made these amazing shelters it's a combination of aluminum and some kind of uh, fiberglass fire resistant layers it's very light so they can carry it when they're up there with their other equipment they pop that thing and they crawl in that and, you, and you, they tell you right on it. It says, you can't be too big or you won't fit in. There is no extra room inside that thing. And it's just got a little breathing area and you're like a baked potato, but you're protected by this shelter. And he said they had to deploy their shelters and they felt like baked potatoes and they were calling for help from the helicopters. And he said, you don't ever want to do that. But if it wasn't for the shelter, they wouldn't have survived. The Lord is providing a shelter for us from the day of wrath that the Bible speaks of. Now, you can see these storms come. You can read in Genesis 19, for instance, verse 17. 
Oh, I want to wait. I want to go back and quote the words here from John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. I never get an argument about that part of the verse. Not everybody reads the next part of that verse. He who believes in the Son is everlasting life, and he that does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, wait a second, Pastor Doug. John is the apostle of love. What do you mean wrath? That's right. In order for you to enjoy the John 3, 16, you've got to realize we need to flee from the wrath to come. That's what John the Baptist said. And you notice, I've never heard anyone say, walk away from the wrath to come jog from the wrath to come it's a fleeing is like you know godzilla is rampaging up the streets of new york city you don't plan your route on your you know your gps you just make a beeline as fast as you can as far as you can in the opposite direction when people become aware of the penalty of sin it ought to create a sense of terror that would make us want to run now we're not just running from wrath what are we running to we're running to the lord you know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen does her chicks, but you would not. You may be seen in the farm, the little baby chicks, right after they hatch, they kind of bond with their mother. And uh, they'll kind of, they'll start learning to peck on feet on their own. They start venturing away from their mother. They never go very far. You've got a few little rebels that get a little further than the others. But when the, the farm dog or cat comes around, the little chick sees that, and what do they do instantly? They run back to the mother out in the woods. These bears, they like to play and scamper. But if those little baby bear cubs see a wolf, they always kind of intuitively know mom is home base. Where is she? And they run to their mother. And so when we see and we read in the Bible about this wrath of God that must fall upon sinners, God is not telling us that to just make us restless. He's wanting us to know that in order to be saved, we've got to realize there's only two options. We are either sheltered under his wings or we are exposed to the full indignation of his wrath. Now, it's not a pretty picture. People don't like to think about it, but you have to think about it. Um, the old, you read some of the old Bible reformers and listen to their sermons and they talked about the love of God, but they talked about the wrath of God. Now, I've heard some wonderful love stories, but there is no love story like the story of God's love. Uh, because he's God, love for him is beyond description. It is a powerful love. It is a wonderful love. It's, it's a love that uh, we can't even comprehend. It is also true of wrath. I've heard of the wrath of man, and the wrath of man can be pretty bad. And you hear about the terrible, unfeeling, heartless, cruel, sadistic things that humans do to fellow humans it's heartbreaking but when you think about the wrath of man an angry general or an angry king it is nothing compared to the wrath of God because God is God all of his attributes are out of sight and so don't be thinking about you know just uh, God's a little bit disappointed as much as the love of God is a wonderful love the wrath of God is a terrible wrath and it's because sin is the ultimate opposite of who God is. He loves you and he wants to say, save you, but it is so contrary to his character, sin cannot coexist with God. So sin that is unrepented of and unforgiven must be then dealt with by God's judgment and wrath. And 
Some people, day after day, they are treasuring up wrath, as Paul said in Romans. There's a record of everything we've ever done. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And it is only through Christ we're going to be sheltered from that. Otherwise, we are going to bear the full brunt and there'll be a full accounting of everything that has been done through our lives. Jesus said even every idle word that we speak, there'll be an account thereof. The reason we can't see God face to face right now is because sin is so opposite to God. You know, look at what uh, the coronavirus has done to our society, isolating people, separating people. Um, you know, I'm getting a little bit of cabin fever. I mean, I love Mrs. Bachelor and Nathan, but boy, you're used to getting out and getting away. And uh, it's, it's a little different kind of, but it's kind of nice. You know, we're walking together more. We're singing together a little more. But uh, uh, this world has been separated from God because of sin. This whole planet has been quarantined because of sin. We can't see God face to face, not because he doesn't love us. Jesus had to veil his divinity in humanity so we could even endure his presence. When God spoke through the thick darkness and the cloud on the mountain, you know what the people said to Moses? Don't let God talk to us anymore. We cannot bear it. And uh, here they were his people. They said, you speak to us. You be the mediator. And that's how Jesus came to be a mediator for the Father, to be the go-between. He's the bridge. The cross is that bridge between heaven and earth because we're separated by this disease. Because if we were brought in our sinful condition without the shelter of God's grace and mercy, we'd be consumed. You can read where it tells us that uh, God came to Lot and his family. Genesis 19, verse 7, 17. And he said, uh, he came out, escape for your life. Do not even look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains. There's an urgency there. You know, when you think about fleeing from the wrath and escaping the judgment, what God is trying to say is, do not dilly-dally. And I think one reason I felt impressed to share this message today is people often wait until there's a crisis before they get serious about God. The devil's most successful uh, temptation is the one of procrastination. A lot of people know there's sins they must turn from and repent of, and they plan on doing it one of these days. And sometimes it takes a crisis to say, well, maybe, maybe I need to get serious about God now. The Lord is saying, if you hear God is near, Go now. You don't want to wait before the lifeboat pushes off. And if you know that judgment is coming, you want to flee, and it's something that's done now. Don't even look behind you. Jesus, speaking of the second coming, he said it would be like it was in the days of Noah or in the days of Lot. And he said, in, and this is Luke chapter 17, 31. <clears throat> in that day, he that is on the housetop and all his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, don't even let him turn back. And then Jesus issues those three words, remember Lot's wife. She was hesitant in fleeing from the wrath of God. She paused. She looked back. You know, when it comes to running from a life of sin and the judgment that will come from sin, God doesn't want us to hesitate. We need to run. I want to read something to you from uh, a book. It's a, just a classic book called The Fundamentals of Christian Education. By the way, this is page 356. Listen. There will soon be a sudden change in God's dealings. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, yet he will not at all acquit the wicked. 
Oh, that men might understand the patience and the long suffering of God. But his forbearance will not always continue. Who is prepared for the sudden change that will take place in God's dealing with sinful men? Who is prepared to escape the punishment that will certainly fall upon transgressors? You know, God is patient. He is merciful. He sends the sunshine and the rain on the just and the unjust. And, and because God is so patient, it says in Ecclesiastes, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. Because God is merciful and he's patient. He's, his mercy endures forever. His patience is so long-suffering. But there is a limit. Obviously, by the time God comes, by the time Jesus comes, Time's up. By the time probation closes, time's up. We can't wait until that last minute. I just wonder what a mighty church we'd have if people would get serious about repenting of their sins, coming to the Lord with all their hearts, confessing their sins, and living real Christian lives, loving their neighbors, preaching the gospel. You'd see a revival. We had in our questions last night, people said, well, what does revival and reformation look like? This is what it looks like. It means true sorrow for sin, a repentance of sin, a turning from sin, an embracing salvation, grace, mercy. Then you've got the joy of the Lord. Then you've got that passion. It's the real thing. It's not just talking about God's mercy. It means really experiencing his mercy and knowing how much it costs, knowing what you're saved from. This is the good news. Revelation 11, verse 18. It says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints. Notice there's a wrath reward, and there's a grace reward. Reward your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and destroy those who destroy the earth. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, mankind is destroying the earth and the environment little by little by pollution, but really, you know what's destroying the earth? Sin. The whole creation is groaning and travailing together under the burden of sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took the sins of the world. The whole creation revolted. The sky went dark. The ground shook. And uh, creation is being upset by sin. And uh, it's responding to that. Now, not all storms are bad. You know, you've got storms of Noah. It's interesting. You've got uh, good storms. And you got bad storms. You know, in California, we've had a lot of storms. We've had just uh, fire and rain. In the Bible, not only did it uh, rain on Noah, that was a storm, it then rained on Lot. God saved both of them from the rain. They were both sheltered. One, it was a fire rain. One, it was a water rain. And uh, kind of makes you think of a popular song, Fire and Rain, but you see quite a bit of that in the Bible. You can read in uh, Genesis 19. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone here? These are the angels speaking to Lot. Genesis 19:12. Have you anyone here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry that has grown before the face of the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. He said, You need to flee. It's interesting that God said to Lot, Come out. And God said to Noah, come in. There's a difference between the way that Lot was saved and the way that Noah was saved. Noah was saved with his family. Lot lost most of his family because instead of preparing for the judgment, as Noah did, he got comfortable 
surrounded by sin. You can read where Peter says that righteous man vexed his righteous soul every day by beholding the deeds of the wicked uh, when he should have fled from that life and fled from that behavior. But the storm came to both. And God said to Noah, come into the ark. It's interesting that uh, some storms are good. You can read in Zechariah, matter of fact, we ought to pray for a storm. Pray for the right kind of storm. Zechariah 10 verse 1, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain, and the Lord will make flashing clouds, and he will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So what is the storm we ought to be praying for? The latter rain, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that God has promised. And maybe what's happening in the world today will revive the church. I don't believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain is going to happen. It's not going to fall on a church that is not a praying church. But that storm is going to come in the response to prayer. We need to be praying. Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? Of all the different things Jesus could put there, he could have said new car, new job, more money. He said the most important thing that we should be asking for, our Father wants to give us, is the Holy Spirit. If you've got the Holy Spirit, what did Solomon pray for? All the things he could have asked for, vengeance on his enemies, long life, lots of money. He said, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit. I want wisdom, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit. He'll give it to us. You know, there was an interesting article in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And they were wondering, could there be a coronavirus great awakening? It says, often in history, cataclysmic events cause spiritual renewal. By the way, this is just March 26. This came out in the Wall Street Journal. They said, historically, there's often a revival of spiritual things that follow some calamity or cataclysm or catastrophe. I'm hoping, you know, that every cloud is a silver lining, that one of the silver linings connected with what is happening in the world right now is uh, there'll be a revival among God's people. We have a great opportunity for evangelism, but, you know, before we, we go out and do evangelism, we've got to get on our knees and make sure that we've done what we need to do to make sure we are sheltered from the storm that is coming. Fire and rain. Bible tells us about um, Elijah prayed. You can read in the book of James, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, but he prayed that it would not rain. Everyone remembers Elijah prayed that it would rain, but before he prayed that it would rain, he prayed it would not rain. Why did Elijah pray that it would not rain? That caused a famine. People died during that famine. Why did he do that? Because the people were worshiping false gods, the people were dying, lost in their sins, and in desperation he prayed that there would be a revival. And he said, uh, not only did Elijah pray that it wouldn't rain, then after there was a revival, he prayed and it brought rain. You can read in 1 Kings 18, 41, Elijah gets on his knees. He, you know, he prays the fire comes down. Fire comes down and then realizes that the people repented. Once the people repented, then the rain came down told Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel and he prays. Elijah goes to eat and drink. Elijah's, or Ahab goes to eat and drink. Elijah's going to pray. And he went up on Mount Carmel and he prayed. Seven times he got on his knees. He continued to pray for the rain. So how often should we be praying for this storm of the Holy Spirit? 
for those showers until it comes. Every day we should be praying. The greatest need of the church is the Holy Spirit. And it says, after he had prayed the seventh time, now what happened in the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away, and he went to Jezreel. He went to the palace, and the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. God's Spirit came upon Elijah after he prayed, and the storm came. You know what happened? If you pray for rain, you might get cut caught out in a storm so here Elijah was caught in this storm because he prayed for rain um, if we are praying for revival and if we're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit do you know what you're really praying for you're praying for a storm because when God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are living godly lives what does it say all that live godly will what suffer persecution there's going to be a storm that'll come in response to that but we need to be baptized not only in water, we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Bible, we often uh, hear not only were they baptized in water, Jesus said, unless you're born of the water in the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they not only were baptized in the Red Sea, you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that God appeared to them in a pillar of fire that glowed at night. They were baptized in the water, the sea, and they were baptized in the fire, and then they began the journey to the promised land. We need both baptisms if we're going to get out of Egypt, friends. We need to be praying. Elijah prayed in one day, fire came down, and water came down. We need both to come down on God's people. Folks are looking for a shelter these days, or we're wanting to be sheltered from the disease. And, of course, there's sanitary things that we can do. A lot of people are not only worried about the virus, but the virus is bringing on some economic consequences that are probably going to be significant. Uh, some are worried about recession. That's probably likely. Even the president said that. Others are worried about depression. And now people are they're worried not just about their souls, they're worried about their money. Well, you know, the Bible tells us how we can make sure that our money is secure, how it is sheltered. You know, people say, can you offer us a tax shelter? for our money or we want to know that our money is safe in the bank I honestly know people that have taken their money out of the bank because they're afraid and they've like buried it in their mattress in their mattress or something like that and they're, they're digging holes out in the woods and they're burying their money because they want it to be sheltered so how do we shelter our investments you know that man that wanted to store all of his earthly money for earthly use Jesus said he was a fool Luke 12 18 this I'll do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater barns. And there I'm going to bestow all my fruits and my goods. And God said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. That, what good is that kind of investment if we only think about our earthly kingdom, if we're not thinking about God's kingdom? James warns against this kind of thinking. He says in James 5, verse 1, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that will come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is cankered and the rust of them, usually gold doesn't canker, but he's saying it's not going to do you any good in the kingdom. And the rust of them will be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You've heaped up treasure for the last days. Everywhere I hear people saying the only safe investment today is buy gold. Jesus said, buy gold of me tried in the fire. What is that gold? It's love. 
That's the only safe investment. Revelation 18 talks about all the rich men and the merchants that wanted the earthly treasure. It says, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. For in one hour such great riches has come to nothing. Zero. Um, someone said that uh, Noah invested everything he had in the ark, and it proved to be a good investment because his stock floated. And if you want your stock to float, then you need to store your treasure in heaven. But uh, to store it on earth, Isaiah 2, verse 20, another warning from God's word. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and gold. Some people have made idols of their gold and silver, which they have made each one for himself to worship. Some people worship money. Jesus said you cannot have two masters. So many people, so many people that call themselves Christians are hoarding money uh, insecurity or power I'm not sure exactly why people are dying for want of the gospel and they're going to wait until it's too late then they're going to think oh wait I'd like to give it now but it's too late you know now might be a good time to think about investing in God's kingdom it says they're going to throw their gold and their silver to into the clefts of the rocks into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake mightily the earth how do you have uh, your investments sheltered safely. Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide for yourselves bags that do not wax old. A treasure in the heavens that will not fail. Where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. Uh, yes, I know a place where you can have your resources sheltered. In the judgment, we'll give an account to God for what we do with our time and what we do with our means. But there is no shelter from God. You cannot run from God in that day. You better make peace with him now because you cannot outrun him. Jonah tried it. It did not work well. The Bible says in Psalm 139, where can I, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's nowhere you can go to run from God. Where do you go to flee from his wrath? Amos 5, verse 18, woe to you that desire the day of the Lord. What is that day for you? It's a day of darkness, not light, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. Or he went into a house and leaned on the wall and a serpent bit him. Have you ever known some people that are just unlucky? <laughs> if you're running from God, I don't want God to bless you. I want God to trouble you until you run to God. You know, there's that uh, hymn that uh, they, they used to sing, Oh, sinner man, the spiritual, where are you going to run to? There is a day of wrath that is coming and the only shelter is going to be making sure that we are in Christ. Christ is going to come. Revelation 6.14 Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the commanders and the mighty men and every slave and every free man they hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb? I've never seen a wrathful lamb. Jesus is always portrayed as love. But there's a day where if we don't take advantage of his love, then we're going to find out that just as strong and mighty as his love is going to be his wrath. So how do we escape that? Now, I'm not suggesting that we run from the cities and go hide in the mountains. I, I do believe in country living, as you all know. Um, 
The idea, though, is not to save ourselves. A lot of people, they say, oh, with everything happening in the world, we need to just run out there to save ourselves. That should not be the attitude of the Christian. It's not all about me. Someone said to Nehemiah, they're trying to kill you. Go into the inner chambers. Shelter yourself in the temple. He said, I'm doing a great work. Should such a man as I hide? I'm not going to hide. And so if the idea of getting out of the cities is to hide yourself so you, you're not involved in God's work, that's the wrong spirit. If you're doing it to protect your children and, and uh, be removed somewhat from what's going to happen in the cities, that's a good idea. But what is going to be the only safe shelter in the last days? <clears throat> what was a safe shelter from the plague that came on Egypt? They had to be in a house with the blood on the door. Do you have the blood over your heart of the lamb? That's the only thing that kept that angel of death from going through. What's the only safe shelter when they got through? the? It's interesting that before they went out of um, the land of Egypt, it tells us that only those who had the blood on their door. Forty years later, when they came into the promised land, only those that were in the house of Rahab with the red rope, a symbol for the blood of Christ, they were the only ones that were sheltered from when Joshua came blowing those seven trumpets. Friends, we're living in the last days. Revelation talks about the seven trumpets of history, but it also says that when they blew those seven trumpets, judgment came. Only those are going to be spared. In Noah's day, in the storm, only those who were in the ark were spared. The Bible says, And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping thing, and the fowls of heaven, they were all destroyed from the ark. And Noah only remained alive and those that were with him in the ark. What does it mean to be in the shelter that's going to save us in the last days? You know, I remember hearing a story in history that um, the people in Rotterdam, Holland, uh, they rebelled against King Philip of Spain. And Philip then sent the Duke of Alva, who was uh, a pretty vengeful angry general and they the people of Rotterdam held out for a while but eventually they conquered the city and in the house of Rotterdam for years there was a house that was called the house of a thousand terrors and the reason that it got that name is because when the Duke of Alva and his soldiers finally conquered Rotterdam and the soldiers went pouring through the walls of the city they went from house to house and they basically exterminated everybody in the city kind of like Joshua and Jericho and they heard the soldiers going up the streets and uh, this one house full of people, men, women, and children, they could hear the screams up the street. They knew the soldiers were making their way to their house. They were not only plundering the houses, they were killing everybody in the houses. They couldn't get out of the city because of the walls. They didn't know what to do. And it seemed like it took forever, and they were just in agony of fear. Finally, one young man got an idea. Right next to the house, they had a little shed for their milk goat. He ran out, came back in, bolted the door behind him, they slew the goat and they took the blood of the goat and when the soldiers came up the street and they were banging on the door, they took a broom and they pushed the blood of the goat under the door and when the soldiers saw the blood, they said, it looks like someone's been here already. They figured the other groups of soldiers had already been to the house and slaughtered everyone. They saw the blood, they turned away and those were some of the only people in that city that survived. It was because of the blood they were spared. So what is going to save us from the wrath to come? The only thing is to be sheltered in Christ. That is the only safe shelter. 
Isaiah 26 says, Come, my people, enter into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is overpassed. What is the shelter? Psalm 27, 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Psalm 61, verse 4. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, as Noah and his family got in the ark. We must be in Christ when Jesus comes. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And as in our memory verse we heard, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. Isaiah 32, 1, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and the rulers in judgment, and a man shall be a hiding place from the wind and a shelter from the storm. A man, that man is Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you fleeing to him? He will welcome you under his wings. He will protect you as his own. You don't have to be afraid of anything. It'll give you a peace that passes understanding. But we have to understand it's dangerous to step outside that shelter. We want to live in Christ. And that's our appeal for each of you. If you've not made that decision before, friends, before we sing our closing song, I just want to pray with you. It's not that difficult. The Bible says, whoever comes to him, he will accept. And I'd like to invite you to say, Lord, I know I've been a sinner. I know what the penalty for sin is. The Bible says if we, Hebrews chapter 10, if we continue to sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice for sins, but only a certain fearful looking forward to of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour the adversaries. So we need to come to Christ. Fear might be a starting point, but once you come to him, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You'll see how much he loves you. And then you can know that he'll give you his spirit. He'll wash away your sins. You can be born again, live a new life. I want to pray with you now that you can do that. Father in heaven, be with all that might be watching or listening now. I pray that they will come to Jesus, fleeing from the wrath, coming to your son, that they'll enter into the ark of safety we thank you, Lord, that Jesus has spilled his blood for us and we know that angel of death will pass by because we are in Christ and under your wings. We thank you and ask in Jesus' name, amen.